Amen. Amen. All right, you ready for this? It's going to be good. We're going to continue this series on David and now no longer Saul. Saul's off the picture. Saul died in an unceremonious way on Mount Gilboa. They cut off his head. He swung, hung headless in the wind with his sons. A tragic end to a tragic life. And we've been looking at that over the last number of weeks. If you want to go back, you can always go back on the website and you can watch these archived. It's a, it's, it's a series that has impacted many of you, if you've told me. But I want to press on. I first want you to go to Acts chapter 13. You say, well, I thought we were back in Samuel. Well, we are, but uh, you need to hear this. On Paul's first missionary journey, he's in Pisidian Antioch. And he stands up and he says this in one of, one of his first sermons. Not his first, but one of his first. So Acts 13, verse 16. So, so Paul stood up and motioning with his hand, he said this. He said, men of Israel and you who fear God, listen to me. Listen to this. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with an uplifted arm, he led them out from it. And for a period of about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. Notice, he just put up with them. They weren't impressed. God was not impressed by the children as they came out of Egypt, went through the Red Sea and into the wilderness. God just put up with them. Father, that you would never say that about me. And I put up with Jeff. Although in many ways he has. When he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he distributed their land as an inheritance, all of which took about 450 years. After these things, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. And then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, what we've been looking at, a man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years. After he'd removed him, who removed Saul. God removed Saul. He raised up David to be their king, concerning whom he has testified and said, and this is what's said about David, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart who will do all of my will. Now, I got to tell you how that grabbed me early on in my walk. I, I, I'll be honest with you. I, as I studied this, this is decades ago. And way before I ever in any way imagined ministry position, I was a golf pro. I was a backswing watcher. What are we talking about? I mean, you know, but I saw that and I was like, Lord, I know you are no respecter of people. And if David had that heart, Lord, I want that heart. I want passion for you. I mean, I want something to live for. I want you to look at me and go, there's a guy after my own heart who will do all of my will. Now, did David do all of his will? We already see he didn't do all of his will, but he had his intention set to obey the creator of the universe. And when he was confronted with his sin, he fell, sackcloth and ashes, man. It's, oh, he repented. He just, he had such a contrite heart, but he sinned gravely. We looked at that over the last few weeks. I mean, if you were to, again, compare the sin of Saul and the sin of David, you know, David might win that race. Not a race he ever wanted to win. Now, he paid a tremendous price in his life, as we'll see as we go through the life of David. He paid. You know, Galatians uh, 6 says, you know, as a man sows, so will he reap, for God is not mocked. Now, you can say, well, I'm saved. It doesn't really matter about my life. You will 
You will reap what you sow. You sow to the Spirit, you're going to reap life. You sow to your flesh, you're going you're gonna to reap death. You're going to reap pain. And David reaped a lot of pain and agony in his life. But God still said this about David. He was a man after my heart. He had a passion to serve me. No, he wasn't perfect, but boy, did he have a passion. Dancing before the ark in his Hanes underwear. I mean, no good king would do that. Raising his hands, not caring, being transparent, being willing to repent. And yet, on the other hand, you know, as we'll see this morning, some of the seeds of destruction were already... We're already there in his life. If it wasn't for this life of David, and let me just be very clear, if you get nothing else from this morning, if it wasn't for the life of David chronicled in the text here, which never, you know, just is mystical and, and puts man up on some pedestal and like, oh, it's just, you know, man, it gives the, the good, the bad, and the ugly. If it wouldn't have been for the life of David chronicled in Scripture, I can guarantee you I would not be standing here. When I look at the life of David and I see an imperfect man but a man of passion, I say, well, you know, when I failed, there have been so many times I've failed over the last two decades. I mean, I I don't want to. I have every intention to. But I have come to love discipline. With a group of men during the week, we, we've been looking through Proverbs and also on Tuesday nights, Proverbs 12, 1, you know, a wise man loves, loves discipline, loves reproof, rebuke, loves it. Do you? I can't say I did for a long time, but I have come to love it. When people speak into my life, I have come. Now, it doesn't mean everything sticks but it means that I'll go to the Lord. Father, is this, is this in me? Is this character flaw in me? What is there? Is it, how, can, how can I become more like you? See, that was David's heart. And as a result, he had a heart after God's own heart. And yet he failed so many times. I'm so thankful for the Bible not just mystifying him and making him some, something that he really wasn't and that he always won every battle and that he never struggled and he never failed. Look, some people say, well, don't, ta- don't talk about that because if you talk about that, people are going to feel more comfortable to sin and they'll, they'll feel okay about it when they wander away from God. No, if the opposite is true. But some of you, this is going to mean an important moment. Some of you right now may feel like you're in, as some scholars have called, the carnal corral. You're living in sin, and you know it, and you've got areas of your life, and you know they don't line up. Get up off the ground. Dust yourself off. Repent. Ask God to forgive you and get back on the highway that leads to Zion, or, in other words, the highway that leads to God's presence. Don't stay off in the ditch. Get back up. Get on your feet. Repent. Ask him. Sweep sob and know you're going to pay a price for your sin you will pay a price God never and I'm thankful that he doesn't I to this day am a man who even to this day I am paying prices for for things in my own character and my spirit and things I'm paying prices for sowing to the flesh for a lot of years I still pay prices like that I know I do I know there are areas that I don't love as deeply as I could have loved had I not and then I go back into my past I'm still paying a price but I've repented, I've gotten right, and I've, I've continued on. And, and if God can use, I promise you, if God can use me, he can use you. And you saw the people, you think everybody up here, oh, they're so perfect. And, 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 and let me tell you something, in my eyes, they are perfect. 
But they could each one give up and tell you a story and say, I shouldn't be standing here. There's no way. I'm not worthy of this. Well, get over it. None of us are worthy. That's why we come here and talk about Jesus. And our songs talk about Jesus. And we lift Jesus up because he's worthy. We worship him. We don't worship people. We worship him. But David is a great help for me. Great help for me. I think we need to go back. I think it's important. Let's, let's, let's go back before we move to this next section. I want to see something very interesting. If you have, have your Bibles, 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel. And uh, let's, let's just look at this. This is so powerful, so powerful. 2 Samuel chapter 2, verse 1. Gives you a little peek into, God, into David's heart. It's going to be hard if you're not grounded in, in this, this ongoing uh, exploration of the person of David and his character. If you're not grounded in things like this, that when we get to some of this, some of you women are going to check out. And you may even check out before we get to the next section. Polygamy? Really, David? Come on. Tell me, you're, tell me you can't rise above that. I mean, being a bad father? Come on. Not, in, not spending time with your kids, not informing them, not talking to them, not living up. Come on, David. Before you get there, you need to still hear these parts. Now, this happened. He finally takes the throne, 2 Samuel chapter 2, verse 1, and it came about afterwards that David inquired of the Lord. Here we go again. Do you have a heart that inquires of the Lord? I mean, it has been such a, te- such a theme for us now and trying to, Lord, where do you want us to go from here? We can't grow anymore, you know? We've run out of space during the season. I don't know what we're going to do. Where are we going to go? We're a piece of land? We need a piece of land. Of course we do. We need a bill. I, I don't know what it's going to happen. And every day, I use those words every day, and we've got many people praying. I would ask you, if you're part of the CRD community, begin to pray. Say this, Lord, Lord, today we as a church inquire of you. We don't want to move. We don't want to get ahead of you, but we don't want to fall behind you. We want to walk in lockstep with you, and when we discover your will, which is all prayer is, when we discover your will, then we know whatever we ask we'll receive because we're praying in perfect complicity with your will but Lord unpack your will for us show us what you want from for us and our future every day it's not only that I've got many areas of my life right now they're unknowns it's okay to have unknowns but it must be preceded by, Lord, I inquire of you. Not, I'm going to make a decision, and here's the pros, and here's the cons, and, and, and I'm just kind of add them all up, and then I'll make a decision. And, then I, and once I get there, I'll go, okay, Lord, I hope you bless what's going on here. And then it feels like the heavens are quiet. Why is that? Because the Lord never told you to, to go or to do or to act or to buy or to marry or to... And then... Well, Lord, are you not going to bless this thing? Now, I will tell you that the Lord certainly mends some of our broken fences, and it's not that he can't reroute you like a GPS and give you a different route. I'm not saying that you're forever lost if you make one mistake along the road. You're not hearing me right if you say that. God will reroute, like your GPS says, rerouting, rerouting, but that first, right off the path, it'll try to get you to turn around and go back to your original route, and I think that's what God wants. Why? Because he wants you to be maximally fruitful it's not about salvation here it's about fruitfulness it's about stewardship of your life so he inquired of the lord and it says shall i go up to one of the cities of judah and the lord said to him 
go up. I wish it was always that simple, don't you? <laughs> you know, where'd that voice come from? How did he get that? Was that a text message? What was that? I mean, and the Lord said, go up. Where did he get that? Was it just in his spirit? Did he hear an audible voice? Some theologians think he had just had conversational kind of thing with God. I tend to think not. I tend to think he prayed about it. We don't know exactly how long he had to pray about it, how long he had to wait. We don't, we're not told that. But at some point, God in some way revealed to him, manifested to him in his spirit, go up. And then he asked the next question, where shall I go up? Way to go, David. Don't just go up. What is going up? At this point, you've got to realize that Jerusalem is under the control of the Jebusites. It's still uh, one of those places where they were never driven out. It had been hundreds of years, and they had said, go and take the land, and yet the Jebusites still controlled Jebus, which would eventually become Jerusalem, and they controlled that area. In fact, it was well fortified. They'd never get in there. So where did he tell him to go? He said, go up to Hebron. Well, if you know a little bit about your Bible history, Hebron, which is today south, more in the Negev or the desert of Israel, if you're going with us in December to Israel, we'll see some of this desert region, and it's a little bit south of Jerusalem. He said, go up to Hebron. Well, if you know a little bit about your history, you'll know, well, why is Hebron? Why, why were they able to go there? Because they occupied it. Why? Because of one of my, maybe the greatest hero in all of Scripture, other than Jesus himself, was a guy named Caleb, of which I love. I actually spoke about Caleb this last weekend a little bit. Caleb was one of the two, Joshua and Caleb. Caleb was 85 years old. We can take him. We can take them. We got them on this. Imagine 40 years of slavery. 40 years of slavery. That's all he'd known. 40 years in the wilderness and wondering, even though in Numbers chapter 13, he was sent as one of the 12 spies right when they came out. And they went in and they came, and they came back and they had seen the Anakim. These are the giants in the land that dwelled in Hebron. Giants. And they came back and, and they said, 10 of the 12 said, we're like grasshoppers in their sight. We're nothing. We got no chance. Even though they came back with grapes, they were carrying these grapes and pomegranates. And the land is fruitful. Boy, it's ripe. This is wonderful except for the fact that we have no chance. We're going to die in there. And Caleb and Joshua, they were incensed about this and said, we can take this, but because of, of the negligence of the rest of the community and their lack of faith, he had to wander 40 years in the desert, even though he was ready to take it himself. And then they finally crossed, and only two made it out, Joshua and Caleb. Moses didn't even make it out. I think as a representative type of Jesus. Jesus never saw the full expansion into the Gentile world and all this. He said, I only came to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He had a, he had a ministry to the world, but he knew that he was going to die on a hill far away before the gospel went around the world, Similar, similarly to Moses. Caleb went. And you know, what his, you know what his territory that he was given when they finally crossed at 85 years old? You know what territory he got? Hebron. The toughest turf 
Can I tell you something for a second? Some of you on live stream may not know the Palm Springs, Coachella Valley. We're actually in Palm Desert, but most people kind of collectively call it Palm Springs. Can I tell you, from a spiritual perspective, this looks like fortified walls with giants here. Now, I'm not saying, let me tell you something. There are all, uh, many other places in the world that I would say are similar to that in nature. Right now, going into the Middle East... Let me tell you something, it's a lot harder than it is here. So I'm not saying that we're the heart, but this is a fortified spiritual lockdown on this valley. You do realize that if every church was filled to capacity twice, every single Sunday, we'd still only reach 15% of the valley? Do you realize that? This is an unchurched, unmarked territory. Say, so we've got churches here. How many people are in church? Well, per, per, percentage-wise... This is a lockdown. There's giants here. We'll never get in here. And yet, no, Caleb says, absolutely, we can take them. Excuse me, 85. Absolutely, we can, we can take those guys. He, 40 years and then 40 years, and it took them five years to dispossess the Anakim, the giants in Hebron. And because of that, when God said, go up, because he had the next plan, the next stage of his plan for the world, not just Israel, but for the world, where did he tell him to go up? Go, go up to where Caleb had that land. Now, look, are, let me ask you a question. Let me just pose a question for us. Are we doing work now that maybe two, three, four generations, they'll be able to go up to the Coachella Valley because of the work of Church at the Red Door today? Somehow in my spirit, I think we're going to do a work here that probably maybe some, maybe some real young'uns upstairs might see, but probably I won't, the fullness of what will happen. But I've been called in this time. You've been called in this time. If you're a CRD person, we may be laying the foundation for people way after us. Is this like Hebron? Go up to Hebron. Let me give you the subtext. Because my man Caleb... He didn't see him as giants. Just like you, David, you didn't see Goliath as a giant. You didn't see it as Goliath versus you. Caleb, you didn't see it as the Anakim versus you. You saw it as the Anakim against the plans of the living God. No fear. Let's do it. Is that going to be the spirit of our church? Is that going to be our spirit? Or is this going to be a holy huddle? You know, God forbid this ever become just a holy huddle. We want people, we want people to feel loved and come in here and be able to go, I don't even know if God exists, but I'd like to just explore it for a while and have a safe place for them. And then once people come to Christ and get baptized and filled with God's presence, we want to help them get discipled. And that'll happen through all the, all, all the things you were hearing from Pastor Paul. I mean, those things are lined up for you. Man, the doors are wide open for you to grow in your journey with the living creator. But it's not easy. It takes sacrifice on a lot of people's parts. Do you, are you going to be part of that? I want to be part of that. I just want to hear God say, you know, well done. I know you made a lot of mistakes in your life. But I, I was pleased with you, son. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into what I've prepared for you for all of eternity. I want to hear that. I am driven by that. So what happened? 
Well, the rest of the story is kind of strange. God, because David was such a good leader, he was always creating a culture of honor. He had these folks from Jabesh Gilead. They had gone and taken down Saul and his son's bodies and buried them. And, and David honored that. He wanted to honor that because they risked their lives to go to Bethshan and take down those bodies and bring them back. And he honored that. Now, some leaders are so insecure, they're afraid if you honor the enemy. And, but see, David never saw Saul as the enemy. Heaven forbid we'd ever see another church in this valley and think they're a competitor or an enemy. Are you kidding me? Does that sound like kingdom to you? Forget it. I'd rather close the doors before we think, well, we've got to compete against this church and compete to get their people. and get. The, I don't want their people. I want the people that God's given us. I want people who don't know Jesus. I want people to flood in here and go, is, is God real? Can you possibly believe that? And go, he's real. And then find him and see generations changed. Their kids are going to be different when their parents come to know Jesus. And their kids' kids are going to be different. It's going to be, be a generational tidal wave down through the ages because, because we cared about this valley. He cared. He created that culture of honor. And then there was civil war. Let me give you the, just the brief story of two. There were Abner, who was kind of set against David and his mighty men, but he was a great military leader. And Joab was with David. So you had Joab and Abner, and Joab did not like Abner. And Abner came after Saul died, and he appointed one of his sons, Ishbosheth. <laughs> Say after me. <laughs> No, I mean, seriously. And, and he pointed one of his sons, and, and he only reigned for a couple of years. And so now David is set up, and he is ruling uh, these southern couple of tribes, uh, really just Judah. And then you've got Ishbosheth that's set up at, by Abner. And, and so David reigns, and he ended up reigning as king, but only anointed by the southern part of Israel, not the northern part. And the northern part, and then they went to Manahem, which is just to the east of, of the Jordan, and they went there, and they, they said, okay, Ishbosheth's our, our, our king, Saul's son. And for two years he reigned. And, but David reigned from Hebron for seven and a half years. But eventually they, they unified, finally. But there was civil war in this process. Abner got murdered by Joab because it was just a long, hideous, vicious infighting and civil war that happened. David oversaw it, and his own man on his team killed the enemy guy, Abner, and David was not pleased at all. You think, well, he, he took out, he's doing this for you. Let me tell you something. When you take out somebody else, it's part of God's plan. Even though they may be not what you think they should be, when you take that into your own hands, David did not like that Joab had done that. Abner had killed in self-defense one of Joab's brothers. It's a crazy story, but you can see David's leadership here. He, and this is the key point, he is thinking beyond the momentary He's thinking of the grander plans of a unified Israel. He's thinking of the grander plans. Eventually, he's looking forward as best he can see it. And it's not clear how much he could see, probably not very well, but he's looking forward to the cross. People ask all the time, well, what about the people that die before Jesus died on the cross? Are they in hell? What happens with them? No, they were looking forward to the cross. We look back to the cross. You've heard me teach it many times, but Jesus said this about Moses. Moses saw my day and was glad. Excuse me, Moses wrote about me. Abraham saw my day and was glad. Abraham saw, Moses saw. They all saw this coming. 
Now, did they see it as clearly as we see it now? No way. But what they saw, they acted on, and by their faith, they were deemed righteous. That's what the text says. David clearly was deemed righteous because of his faith. He was a man after God's heart. Did he understand the whole plan? Nobody understood the plan enough to act when God told him to act, and he was acting already on behalf of the nation, even though the northern part were set against him. Are you with me? Sometimes you have to be for what appears at the moment to be an adversary for the greater good, and that, my friends, is spiritual maturity. You may have that in your own family. Somebody may cut you or slight you, but you said for the unity of the family, I've got to defer here. I've got to back off. And I may even have to take somebody in my own camp and chastise them because they, they come against the unity of the whole. And there's a, there's a purpose in the whole, and it goes well beyond just this momentary issue that we have. And that's what we see here with David. Now, I want you to go now to 2 Samuel chapter 3. We're going to start to wind this down. And you know what that means, right? We're not done. We're just starting to wind down, which really means, hey, we're doing okay. Because remember, we went to one service, so we can be here till 1 o'clock. So everybody get their phone out, text your pro, and say, we're going to have to move our tea time back. We're going to have to move our dinner reservations. It's now lunch, not brunch. And boy, this is going to change. No, we're going to get you out of here. We've only been here an hour. We're doing fine. 2 Samuel chapter 3. We now unfortunately have the seeds of David's destruction. His ultimate destruction, his ultimate demise, no, but a destruction of his soul in many ways. Not an eternal destruction, but a, certainly a, uh, a place where Galatians takes over. He's going he's gonna to reap the whirlwind here. And it starts out kind of simple. I mean, he's at a high place. I mean, he's, there's civil war, but he's ruling now. He's not yet conquered Jerusalem and, and cast out the Jebusites, but it's all happening. And things are going his way. And then, and we just get this, it just gets kind of thrown in. Now, there was a long war, verse 1, 2 Samuel 3. There was a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David. Now, obviously, Saul's dead, but you get the point through Ishbosheth. And David grew steadily stronger, but the house of Saul grew weaker continually. Let me tell you something. When you're on God's uh, plan, even though you may go through some great challenges, eventually an adversary, and in this place it's not people, but it's spiritual forces of wickedness, they will weaken. If we continue to, and I'm going to use this word, attack spiritually for the lives of people, we are for people here. We care about people meeting their creator and finding their purpose. If we continue that unabated as a family and unified, eventually those forces weaken. Over time, the, the house weakens. Saul, in this case, was in some ways a representative type of something that stand opposed to God's plans for all of humanity through the nation of Israel. It'll weaken eventually. It may not feel like it, but see, that was Caleb. We'll take them. Five years it took him to take Hebron. Five years. Doesn't matter. I have a feeling his passion increased as he went along. He never lost faith. He, Caleb was a man after God's own heart. Do you know, guess what? You know what Caleb means in Hebrew, the name? Dog. I love that. I can't measure up to much, but I can measure up to dog. Caleb the dog. After it, would not let go of this bone. God said it, we're doing it, we will not be defeated because God is going to see us through this. I love that. 
But then, and everything turns here, it's so grievous in retrospect. Sons were born to David at Hebron. His firstborn was Amnon by, by uh, Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess. And his second, Kiliab by Abigail, the widow of Nabal. Remember Nabal, the Carmelite? And, and remember when he married Abigail? We talked about that. And the third, Absalom, the son of uh, Maacah and the daughter of Talmai the king of Geshur, and fourth, Adonijah, the king of Haggith, and fifth, Shephatiah, the son of Abatai. Now, you ready? And the sixth, Ithrium, by David's wife, Eglah. These were born to David at Hebron. Whew. Those are hard names. About half of them got pronounced right. Okay, so, 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 that was kind of the Middle East. No, it wasn't. We're going to go back and we're going to look. See, there, there, there's, a, there's, a, there's going to be a great moment here for many of you this morning. We have to go all the way back to Moses. Now, you remember, Moses is living about 500 years before the time of David. Okay, so David, again, chrono- chronologically, David is about 1,000 years before the time of Jesus. Moses is about 1,500. Abraham, about 2,000 years, give or take a few. So... In general, we've got to go all the way back to Moses. Now, Moses is on the plains of Moab. Remember, Moses never does enter the, cross the Jordan and enter into the battle to take, you know, property and, and defeat a people. Remember, we're still called to do that. We're not called to defeat a, a physical people in a physical land. We're called to defeat a spiritual forces and take spiritual property. I want to take spiritual property here. I'm not interested in taking the valley. I mean, I let it be owned by whoever. I couldn't care less. But I want blocks to be transformed because Jesus starts to emerge and people fall in love with Jesus. That's spiritual ground. So that's the analog here. Are you with me? So here he goes, and he's, he's going in, and now Moses comes, and he does a retrospective of what God has done. It's powerful. It's, it's amazing. It's called the renewal of the covenant. Deuteronomy 17, 14, he says, when you enter the land which the Lord your God gives you and you possess it and you live in it and you say, I will set a king over me like all the nations who are around me, you shall surely set a king over you whom the Lord your God chooses. Now, see, why did God, this is a, this is a word way before the time of the kings. God says, I don't want you to have a king. I want to be your king. But God through Moses already says, well, they're going to have a king because they're going to choose a king over me. But I'll give you a king. He says, one from among your own countrymen, you shall set over the king over yourselves. And you may not put a foreigner over yourselves who is not your countryman. Moreover, he shall not multiply horses for himself, number one. Nor shall he cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses. He won't let them go back. Don't let the king, don't let him go back to Egypt. And don't let him try to just make a bunch of money off this thing and be, you know, live above everybody else like Kim Jong-un. We're not going to do that. We're going to have a God. This is, the, this is the instruction for your new king. And then he says, since the Lord has said to you, you shall never return that way. Don't let them go back. And for us, the analog is don't go back to the world. You know, one of our tasks here is to encourage you every single day so you're not hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, that you don't get sucked into this world system that's going away. It's disappearing every day. It's meaningless. Live for the eternal. That's why we come here on Sunday. So you can get something like that, go back out into the world and go, I want to live for Jesus more than I did when I came in here. I mean, I get sucked in. I leave here and I immediately start thinking about money and this and that and my business and all this. And I just get overwhelmed by it. 
No, I want to live for Jesus. I mean, that's why we meet. That's why we meet. And then he says this. He shall not multiply wives for himself. Or else the heart, his heart, it'll turn away. Nor shall he greatly increase silver or gold for himself. Now it shall come about when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself a copy of this law and a scroll in the presence of the Levitical priests. It shall be with him and he shall read it all the days of his life. You want a good leader? He better be in the word. He better not be thinking about trying to, you know, multiply and, and get as much money as he can and all that kind of thing. He better, be a, he better be a man or a woman, both, who both love all the leadership. I mean, we've got to have people that love you, that put your interests before our own. That's what a leader does. That is Jesus' kind of leadership. Are we going to be perfect at that? No way. But boy, is it our intention. And he says, and that his heart may be not lifted up above his countrymen, and that he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right or to the left, so that he and his sons may continue long in his kingdom in the midst of Israel. Do you know what happened to David? That we know of, that we know of, 20 sons. That we know of. We only know of one daughter that's listed, that's Tamar. You know what happened to Tamar? She was raped by one of her brothers. Eight wives that we know of, eight, and more, and many more concubines. I told you some of you women are going to check out on David. You were liking David. This has been a great series. Everything's going well, and now David's, David's applause now is starting to go like this. He is trending, as they say in social media. He is trending lower right now. <laughs> He's getting a lot of this right now, not this. It was this, and now it's this. And Saul, well, I don't know. Saul, well, Saul... Do, do you see what's going on here? He, it, it just, it crept in on him. It was kind of cultural. It was, it was, it, no, it was available. He's king, man. He did, man. He built a palace for himself. He, he, it was unbelievable. It was just enough of a seed. As we'll see, Absalom, oh, Absalom, what pain it brought into David's life. Adonijah, oh, Adonijah, what pain it brought. Tamar, Tamar, my own daughter, raped by one of my sons. Are you kidding me? It didn't have to be. But it came all the way back to here. Now, as a sidebar note, and we'll close with this, as a sidebar note, and I think this is important, there were a couple of places that God went back into time and did a renewal of the covenant. He did it with Joshua. At the very conclusion of Joshua's kind of life, they had gone in and taken some territory. Joshua chapter 24, and I want you to turn there if you have your Bibles. Joshua chapter 24. Uh, let's look at a couple of renewals of the covenant because in some ways, and this is, you know, this is significant. In some ways, uh, the reason this is so important is because I want to at all times make certain uh, moments in my life where I'm going, I want to renew the covenant. I mean, I know I'm saved and everything. It's not like I'm getting resaved. I mean, we have enough Baptists in here that you do walk the aisle every two or three years to make sure, right? So, so but it's not that. It's not just a rededication of my life because I've been living for hell for the last three or four years, and now I want to kind of rededicate. I mean, those are good, but I think there's always an opportune moment to go back in your life and go, wait a minute. Let's turn around for a minute and let's think about all that God has done in my life. I know I'm facing garbage right now. Maybe you are. 
I know I'm in the middle of a real battle, but wait, rather than just so being so focused on the moment, let's just take, let's stop for a second and let's turn around in time and look at all that God has done. Look at all of it. I think if you take those moments, it's a moment to kind of renew your, your vigor for God. To renew what, and remember, remember when we talked about the stones of remembrance? That they were to take the stones, one, put it on their shoulder and take it up out of the Jordan when they crossed and then put them in Gilgal and then tell your children and let your children tell their children. I showed you that FCA shirt, that t-shirt when I got saved. I still have that. And I'm asking my wife right now, would you please frame that for me before it completely falls apart? But, but, but you see what I'm saying? It's like those are stones of remembrance. And you can begin to think about, I know I'm going through a problem now, but look what God has done. And that's what happened here in Joshua 24. And we're not going to look at it, but also Nehemiah. Ezra did the same thing when they were rebuilding the walls. He said, let's stop. Stop for a second. Let's remember what God has done. And it will give you great faith at times. I was talking... Uh, at this conference yesterday, and a young man came up, and we were having lunch, and he sat down beside me, and we were talking, and I knew he was new in his faith, and, and, uh, and I said, well, he doesn't really go to church, and, and hasn't really been baptized, and he, I'm going to bring him to church to the door, we're going to make sure he gets baptized, and his wife, and, uh, but he's, he's really hungry for God, really hungry for God, and then he, he looked back, and he said, well, come to think of it, when I was at a camp, when I was a kid, you know, I gave my, I, I, I invited Jesus into my heart. And then he says, and then I saw an angel. And then he got real embarrassed because he was he, like, I can't believe I said that. He goes, I've, ne I've never even told my mom that. He said, I saw an angel. And the wingspan was unbelievable. And he goes, and he said this, and I had forgotten that that had happened till right now. Isn't Satan amazing? He can blind you from the things and the, and the supernatural unpacking and unveiling of things that have happened in your life. And now you're here in the physical and you're just like, well, we'll we can't take this. This is too big of a problem. You know, this problem is just overwhelming. I don't know where we're going to get the money. I don't know where we're going to get the time. And we just panic and we run. That's what we do. And people run to Egypt. And that's what always happened. They ran back to Egypt. And God is saying, wait a minute, stop, turn around and let's give a recounting of our lives. You should be dead. There's, you shouldn't even be here. And then remember this? And, and, and remember, remember this relationship over here? And this guy about to take you to court and take everything? You just thought you were going to lose everything? And remember when I stepped in? And, and then remember when? And then you came to know, and you didn't even know me then. And then you came to know me here. And then at that moment, you realized that I had been protecting you even when you had denied me for all those years. And you didn't serve me, and yet I had been for you because I saw this day. And then all of a sudden, and you spend time in a contemplative mode thinking about the past, and all of a sudden you're emboldened to turn around and go, this is nothing. Anakim against the living God's activity in my life? <laughs> this is stupid. Lord, huh, you're going to do an amazing thing. And all of a sudden, the, the spirit of the dog, Caleb, begins to rise in you, and you say, no, I can face this because God's going to see me through it. And even if he doesn't, we're still going to worship him. Amen. Is that good? Robert? Amen. Thank you. <laughs> okay, so just real quickly here. Can I, uh, let me just read this. Let me, I, I have to read this, and then we'll close. I won't, I won't go into Nehemiah, but... I. 
Maybe this morning is a moment when you renew your covenant with God. And how do you do that? By looking back and seeing. And maybe, maybe you haven't ever even embraced Jesus before. But all of a sudden you look back and go, he was there for me. I think God was there for me. You know, I, I remember, and I've never, even, I've never even acknowledged him. And now all of a sudden he, it makes sense with a little bit of retrospect. Joshua gathered all the tribes, verse 1, of Israel to Shechem and called for the elders and the heads of the judges and the officers, and they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, From ancient times your fathers lived beyond the river. Now this is not Moses and the Red Sea. This is Abraham beyond the river. And named Terah, the father of Abraham, the father of Nahor, and they served other gods. And then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and multiplied his descendants and gave him Isaac. And to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau, and to Esau I gave Mount Seir to possess it. But Jacob and his sons went down to Egypt. And then I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt by what I did in their midst, and afterward I brought you out. And I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came out of the sea in Egypt and pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. But when they cried out to the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians and brought the sea upon them and covered them. And your own eyes saw what I did in Egypt, and you lived in the wilderness for a long time. And then I brought you into the land of the Amorites and lived, who lived beyond the Jordan. And they fought with you, and I gave them into your hand, and you took possession of their land when I destroyed them before you. And then it goes in and talks about Balak and, and all these other stories. And then finally in verse 14, there's a function of time. Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and truth and put away the gods which your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves today who you're going to serve. Whether the gods which your father served, which were beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're living, but as for me and my house, we're serving the Lord. There's just a place that it's got to rise up in you at some point in your life if it never has. Or maybe it did 10, 15 years ago, and you've just, you've kind of quieted to the whole thought. It's just religion's gotten a little dry for you, and maybe your relationship's gone a little quiet. There's just a time to read something like this. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And you just hear that and you go, Caleb, Saul. Caleb, the rest of the ten spies. Caleb, no, I like Caleb. I like Caleb. I like his spirit and his passion and his unwavering commitment to what God had for his life. I will not, no, as for me and my house... My girls won't be in my house forever. And they'll have to do this for themselves. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Can, can we just, would you rise with me now? Would you just stand? If, if that's in your heart, would you say that with me? Don't look. I'm not pushing you. If, you. if you may not even know that God exists yet, you may not be ready for this. But if there's something in your spirit because of the word of the living God this morning that's gone down in you, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. One more time. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Is that not awesome? If we do that, if we commit to that, we will change 
lives here in the valley, those lives that, are, that God will entrust us with over the coming years. Tell me, tell me what can be better than that. Look, we love you. Uh, I'm going to close in prayer. Uh, we love you. We, we really, truly, I get up, and I t- I've, I've been telling our executive team, and I just want to thank our executive team, all those in the executive team, and all the work that's been done, our elders, our trustees, all that those have dedicated. But I tell them all the time, here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to pray for the lives of the people at Church at the Red Door. Don't just pray this and the land and this and no. Let's pray for the lives of our people because we are family. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for a, f- a family that I can do mission with, that I, can, that I can think about serving with, and something that matters and has longevity, even eternally. Lord, I, I don't care. I don't care what anybody says. I am over the moon for you. I love you. What you've done in my life, you've transformed it, and many of the lives here. Father, there may be some here this morning that don't know you. Lord, maybe today's the day, not just to renew the covenant, but for, to engage the covenant for the very first time. And it's simple. Jesus Christ, dead, buried, crucified for you. Believe it and follow me, and you will never die. Ever die. Oh, you'll, your body will pass, but you'll just go from one dimension to the next. Lord, I thank you that you give us this great news to take out into the world And Lord, we give this day to you because we love you. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Have a great week. Hang around with a few people. Love on some people.